So I missed the section on the Mac Pro due to prior commitments, but you guys didn't miss it. And now I'm looking at apple.com slash Mac dash pro. I'm seeing a pretty cool looking cheese gratery thing. So fill me in guys. What did I miss? This was to me, it seems like the biggest, maybe the only hardware, but the biggest exciting thing that we've been waiting for is the Mac Pro details. I'm actually navigating to the Mac Pro page now as I haven't seen it yet. And it's a really cool page. Yeah, I was hard refreshing it as it kept loading up the old trash can, you know? Oh, really? When's it going to happen? And then it was just a couple minutes of hard refreshes and there it is. Maybe we start with the the surprises, I would say. The surprise for me was the form factor. I, I expected something slightly more modular, I guess, in design, but I guess it's not like it's less. It's just my my visual of it was different based on like people thinking thinking that they would like do Mac Mania, you know, where you could just, like mm-hmm. sort of stack them to to create this sort of mm. modular system. But I, I like the idea that they brought back the PCI process, which is a huge thing. That's where you get a lot of speed and where people really miss the ability to swap in cards and, you know, pull in different, you know, different external third party manufacturer stuff that you sort of lost with the iMac Pro, for example, or even the latest Mac Pro, which was the trash can version. You totally lost all that. You had to go with Thunderbolt friendly only components. And not everybody believed in Thunderbolt quite the way that Apple has. And Thunderbolt 3 is amazingly faster than Thunderbolt 2. But still, yeah, like you were really stricken on like what you can componentize with the older trash can Mac Pro and even the previous cheese grater. You know, like this form factor to me seemed as a, I didn't expect it to look like this. However, one thing I'll note is that whenever they, it was late in the presentation of it too. They're like, oh, for you people who love to rack mount, which is me, I love to rack mount things. They're like, here you go. You can just turn it this way. And I was like, whoa, you know, right then and there, my mom was like, okay, this is an amazing form factor. I love it because you could just turn it sideways, put some, put some ears on it and rack mount this thing. I just really? love it. Was it that, that or was it a, like a special case, like a, or a special configuration? I think it might be a special case, but either way, that means the form factor is there. So you could probably, you know, maybe pull this case off and put a new, you know, rack mountable uh-huh. case onto it. But either way, it's like attaching yeah. ears to it, you know? Rack multiple years. So it is, I mean, it is modular though. Maybe you were expecting it to be like externally modular. But right. Internally, right. like you can expand it, but it's all internal expansion, not external expansion. Right. So the internal to me, I think locks up maybe size, right? You have to fit it into the box, mm-hmm. which that's sort of the, the unexpected side, which I'm not totally against. It's just visually... I'm watching YouTube. I'm watching all these different people who are predicting these things coming out. And this is not what was in my mind's eye. You know, when I was imagining what Apple might somehow come up with. Plus, it's silver. Uh, like, what happened here? I mean, I love it. It looks amazing, but... It's like bright silver, right? Not the it's, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the Apple seems to be proportionally bigger on the side than normal. So maybe they've expanded their sort of design guides or something like that. But I was expecting Space Gray or this Pro Gray that they've sort of... A, established with the iMac Pro and other components. And I'm just like, what? Why is it silver? But, hey, you know, you can't have everything. <laughs> Matt Black, all the things, right? That was a big surprise. Hey, it's Matt Black on the inside. Well, the inside matters, right? That's right. The other thing that matters is the price, right? I mean, that I missed the pricing. I know there's also a display involved, which was looks amazing, but it was also very, very, yeah. very expensive. I know these are particular tools for particular people who have those 
those dollars. But what are we talking about here? I think the starting price was was it four ninety nine? Sorry, four thousand nine hundred ninety nine for the. That's a dream, yeah. Four ninety nine is a dream. (laughs) (laughs) This is not a this is not a a Mac Mini. (laughs) Yeah, five grand basically four thousand nine ninety nine for the. That's the that's the display. Is that is what the display uh, sells at? And then the with the nano texture, which was uh, so cool that they like from a nanometer, I guess, perspective, they etch uh, texture on directly onto the glass to you know re- reduce its reflective properties, and that's an extra grand on top of that. So five thousand nine ninety nine, uh, but the actual Mac Pro starts out the same five thousand nine ninety nine. So six six grand. Six grand. Starting. And then Starting. This Pro Display XDR, which is just gorgeous to stare at. The first 32 inch retina 6K display ever. What they're saying on their marketing page for that. Mm-hmm. This is just stupid expensive, right? <laughs> well, I would say it's stupid expensive if you haven't been buying this kind of pro level gear before. And I would say that people who care about the colors of their monitors so people who are doing movies and a lot of color grading they're spending several thousand dollars on monitors so for normal people like us who don't typically buy this kind of pre-level gear especially a monitor we're not looking at price tags in the five thousand range however people who do uh you know they're probably in the three to four thousand range i'm sure maybe even more than that with the calibration kit you can get with it like there's definitely price tags out there similar but this is five thousand yeah, I mean, so, an extra brand for the for the Apple one, of course, right? Well, here's, and I agree. These, like I said, these are particular power tools for power users, videographers, etc. But here's my problem with it: I want one of these, <laughs> <laughs> right? Don't Can we? Can you imagine want how one? good Vim's gonna look yeah. in that? I know, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't. I don't disagree. I want one too, and I wish they they would maybe. Give me a 27-inch version of it, I guess, maybe, that's uh, for people like me. Yeah, like, just bring it down to three grand, you know? Mm-hmm. Five grand. Like, let's have a $3,000 model. Maybe here's the question. Is this is this a one-off to match the Mac Pro I think fit so. and finish? Or is this uh, the start of maybe a new line of Apple displays where there will be more consumer-priced options? They'll still be expensive mm-hmm. uh, in relation to the overall market, but maybe they're in the... range. Do we think that there will be a series of these or do you feel like this is the one that they're going to offer? I feel like this is a series uh, coming back into it. This is hopefully the addition model and I'm waiting for the stainless steel model. (laughs) Well, it's not coated in in gold. So I don't know if it's the addition, but it's definitely priced up. Some really cool things I did like about it though, was the, now the stand, which I think is a thousand dollars on its own, which is kind of the price point I was hoping that the monitor would be in by itself. (laughs) Maybe you can just buy the stand. Uh, But that stand is really nice and it does allow you to flip into portrait mode, which would be really cool. Mm-hmm. You imagine these two of these next to each other, one in portrait and one oh, yeah. in landscape. <clears throat> and they did say that the current MacBook Pros can run two of them together, and the Mac Pro it can run six of them. Six. So six of those plus mm-hmm. the Mac Pro. That's thirty plus. That's thirty-six. Well, you, grand. You, plus the stands Easy. for each one, right? So. The- <laughs> oh, plus the stands. So it's five thousand for the monitor. <laughs> hey, and don't then, forget yeah. out here. So it's six thousand. 
<laughs> yeah, you're going to Apple care that thing up. You got a $40,000 workstation. I think you definitely want to Apple care that one. You want to Apple care it. You want to you want to get an IRA. You want to insure it. <laughs> yeah. You know, life insurance on and everything. Mm-hmm. This display, though, I mean, it's definitely expensive, but some of the tech behind it is super interesting in the fact that how bright they've been able to make it. 1,600 nits max, but 1,000, they can sustain 1,000 nits, which is super bright, forever, indefinitely, she said. And then she kind of paused and dramatically said, forever. And I thought that was pretty cool. Forever. So they'll have an SLA that says that this will be that bright forever. They'll back it up or what? Yeah, she might. I mean, sure, let's put forever in the <laughs> SLA. I want it there, but apparently you can leave it in this state, you know, on obviously, and it'll, it'll display forever, I guess. So what's the technology yet? Is it just OLED or, or what? It's this, uh, there's blue LEDs. I don't know the exact, I'm just kind of going from memory because I don't write this part down, but like these blue LEDs in the very back of it and several layers of this brand new kind of breakthrough tech they've created to enable this brightness and this HDRness of it. So that's as far as I can really kind of regurgitate from what I heard, but the back of it is this super bright blue LEDs. And then through each phase of it is algorithms and different things that sort of like reshape and reform the light to make it super accurate. And then obviously bring that contrast ratio in. A million to one contrast ratio here is what we're talking about. So that's, that's pretty huge. Probably worth mentioning to folks out there that we are recording this less than an hour after the keynote has closed. Yeah. And so these are very much initial impressions and hot takes and not researched information. So your mileage may vary <laughs> with the uh, amount of accuracy in these claims that the we're one, making here. The one thing that That's I didn't right. really Definitely see was us, uh, uh, a camera built in, which I thought was kind of surprising given how expensive it is. There's no, no camera I built in? I don't think so. And it doesn't definitely doesn't mention <laughs> it on the marketing page. They didn't mention it. You're right. That's a really good point. I didn't even... I did not even pay attention to that. Maybe they're going to bring back the old uh, the old bullet can they had <laughs> back in the day. Oh, yeah. Maybe maybe we're turning back to old school Apple since they've, they've gone with the tower effect again. I'd we'll be bring fine back with that me. magic mouse then. I'm fine with that. Or the hockey puck mouse. Yeah, 1,600 nits of brightness max, uh, a million to one contrast ratio, uh, over a billion colors presented with exceptional accuracy. Of course, I'm reading their marketing lingo here. They got XDR, not even HDR, XDR, extreme high dynamic range, which is, uh, of course, leave it to Apple to go from, you know, something that was amazing to something even more amazing, right? They're like, the, they're always the cherry on top right there. I'm looking for the tech that was talked about on this page, though, for... Their color and stuff. Yeah, LED in a whole new light. True-to-life imagery requires an extremely high bright area. of So that's what they're talking about. It's like it requires the extreme, uh, extreme brightness. Yeah. And this uh, advanced LED technology, light shaping, and intelligent image processing was, was uh, some keywords from that. Well, I have to say that the lack of a webcam is really the blocker for me. <laughs> I was ready to pull the trigger on this guy, but I'm out now. I'm out with yeah. no webcam. I think the the interesting thing too is how it's counterbalanced. Like I I don't know about anybody else here, but when I was seeing it, I was like, oh, that's really cool. But I didn't imagine its weight, and I didn't imagine how you may want to change its configuration. And then when they sort of showed that um, kind of like silhouette or portrait perspective of 
that mount area and they sort of showed the insides of this counterbalance system, that to me is super cool. Like, I don't even, is that, have you seen something like that before anywhere else? Like that counterbalance system? No. no. Jared, you weren't there to not see it. Not that I so. can see, or not there. that I could remember really. It looked really cool. So let's dive for a second into some off topic, but yet on topic because I'm on the actual page of the Pro Display XDR mm. and I'm looking at this picture of it in landscape mode and it's got so much code on it that I'm thinking, oh yes, this is why I need one. Look how much code I can fit on it. And then I right click because I want to share this image with you guys. So I right click on it to copy image address or whatever and paste it into the chat so I can say, look at this image. And it's a video element. It's not moving, it's not animated. It's a video element where they're setting the data source to, it's an MPEG-4. Uh, oh, maybe it, oh, here it says replay. So maybe it was animated, but it didn't animate till I scrolled down. Oh yeah, it shows it moving. Okay, so it's like an animated GIF, but they're they're doing it as a as a video. If you open the page in I've Safari on your uh, iOS device or your phone, I guess uh, they do have an augmented reality thing that you can use to put the um, or the Mac Pro oh. right in your room, and you can see how big it is. I posted that in the chat. Nah, -uh. with no other technology, just yep. open it on my phone. <sighs> BRB guys, <laughs> I posted what it looks like in the chat. Yeah, go try that. Oh, is yeah. that what you put in the chat? I didn't have a banana for scale, but that uh, is my foot's in there. <laughs> banana for scale. Come on, Nick. Be prepared. Bring a banana. So that is super cool. Here I thought they were just displaying video elements as images for some reason, but I take it all back because that actually does animate in, so it's a good use of MPEG-4 there. But it does kind of suck. That, actually, we had somebody on Changelog News recently, Adam, who was advocating for the use of videos in place of animated GIFs and saying now's the time. And one of the things that does stink about that is just the shareability of a video versus a GIF file in terms of it being treated as an image by operating systems. Mm -hmm. um, it's much harder to share those in kind of traditional ways. But anyways, like I said, super off topic. So I just put that thing on my desk and it, it takes up the whole desk. It's, it's it? pretty yeah. big. It's definitely big. It, uh, according, well, I would say it's probably nineteen inches at least in in depth because that would be a rack mount. Nineteen inches is a is a, the width of a rack, and deep is it goes you know twenty, thirty six inches deep. Sometimes in a rack it depends, but nineteen inches at least wide. So that would be its depth because if you turn it sideways and put it in, into a rack mount, that would be nineteen inches. Do we know how they're achieving this? augmented reality on via the website is it like those uh remember they announced those ar files yeah last year cmac pro and so you click a button cmac pro in ar and it launches a specialized view i guess up in the Safari. top it should say object and ar yeah yeah ar there it is Oh my goodness, this thing is massive <laughs> on my desk. I had to I had to move back. Like stand away. Yeah, I had to like go back like three <laughs> feet. I'm looking at the tech specs and uh, I, I don't know if they mentioned this in the talk or not, but it does start at 32 gigs of RAM and it goes all the way up to 1.5 terabytes of RAM. 
and 28 cores. So, Nick, let me ask you, how would you spend your 1.5 uh, terabytes of, of Well, memory? I'd have Chrome and Chrome Canary and Slack, like lots of Slacks and uh, <laughs> what else? What other Chromium things can I run? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I can't imagine. Just go to GitHub and search for the Electron tag. <laughs> right. And then just download all of the resulting apps and run them. I wonder if I'd on. be able to run Docker without it lighting the computer on fire. One thing on that, on the performance note, was that they were talking about uh, in Logic, I think it was around 1,000, yep. if I can recall correctly, at, at some point, like 1,000 instruments playing at once in a single in like this you know composition inside of logic which to those who don't use logic or anything like that like several tracks starts to start starts to bog the system down plus you've got some sort of like real-time effects on those things so reverb or different effects happening on each different channel whatnot so as you start to layer all those things like you've got a thousand you know roughly a thousand instruments playing at once with no beats skipped pun intended of course that was pretty amazing and they had they had the you like that jared they had yeah. final cut running two what was it two 8k xdr videos and one it was either one 4k or 8k uh standard video all at once yeah so obviously it's anybody who's in extreme video anybody yeah. doing video is going to love this machine love the monitor and those are also the people that tend to spend at least several thousand dollars on any one piece of gear. So for them, for people like that, it may not be a welcome to price tag. However, it's definitely, you know, in their spectrum. They're spending 15, 20, sometimes $50,000 just for a camera. Sans lenses, you know, not even with the lenses. Sometimes you'll spend two, three, four thousand dollars $4,000 just on lenses. I mean, you can spend probably twenty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 on a nice prime lens kit. You know, you got your 35, 50, 85, 105, something like that. You know, all these nice prime lenses. I mean, you could spend a, some serious coin on that kind of video gear. So maybe starting at 6K for them isn't terrible. For me, it's kind of terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I mean, think anybody 6K. likes to do it. No, nobody likes to do it. Some people just do it. Pull the trigger. I want to know how many people out there are going to buy the monitor just because they want to see it or just because i'll just go to the mm -hmm. apple store and see it and i'll save my money but well i mean obviously i mean see it every day right <laughs> see, <laughs> see it in their it, house see it in their house you know sans <laughs> ar kit you know, in the in the real because uh, because uh, if somebody's got that kind of dough to put down on a monitor that's that's intense especially if somebody who just doesn't really kneel of its mm -hmm. features Right. I just yeah. upgraded from yeah. a 27 inch Thunderbolt display. And when I bought that, it was a thousand dollars, you know, years ago. And that was really yeah. expensive for a monitor, I thought. And uh, I, yeah, I, I finally so. upgraded, but I had heard like rumors that Apple was coming out with one. And I was like, maybe I should just wait. And then I, don't, I was listening to some Apple podcasts, I'm sure. And they, they were like, oh, it's probably going to be like at least $2,000. And I was like, oh, I don't. I'll just go with something else because monitors are cheaper and they won't be as great as one Apple can make, but they won't be $2,000 either. So I ended up getting one that was under a thousand and 
Uh, I like it for the most part, uh, but I'm definitely happy with that decision now. Uh, I have an LG 38 oh, yeah. inch ultra wide and yeah, I like it for the most part. So is that retina? No. It's uh, I think it's like no. 3840 by 1600 resolution and it works well. Uh, I have a, a 4k monitor here as well. Um, but mm-hmm. I didn't like it near as much as this. So I have this uh, visa mounted onto my desk and it's, it's really nice being able to swivel it everywhere and move it in anywhere. It's mm. nice. Not the greatest p- mm. picture though, as I've learned as I'm getting bugs about not really being able to see subtle grays very well. Mm. That's the, and that's the exact problem I feel with um, this monitor world, just even at, you know, people like us or just general consumers using computers, there's often a disconnect between the, you know, the computer part of it. And this would maybe even be evolving with the whole iPad era and slates or whatever you want to call it, you know, that people like most people I know who don't really use a computer generally just use their mobile phone as sort of their main compute platform. Folks like us, creators need to have the components. And I think there's this huge disconnect between the screen and, you know, the machine itself, which is why I like the iMac Pro or even just the iMac in general. Not really much uh, of a fan of having the two separate or, you know, an actual laptop and some sort of external display. Derek, you've had some issues with yours over the years. Ah, I just, I have issues with it today. And I'm angry at the world because of it. It shouldn't be that hard mm -hmm. though, right? No, I keep thinking that it's going to be a software up. Like the next time I update Mac OS to a dot release, you know, somebody yeah. will finally have patched it for this circumstance, which is an LG 27 inch Retina. Um, is that the I one pl- that Apple was even promoting as sort of like this works best with our gear kind of thing? Or was it a different one? No, it's not that one. I can't remember the decision making process. I've had it for a couple of years now. I, I knew I needed to go high res though because I was getting serious eye strain by the end of the day mm-hmm. and I had my laptop so I I go in uh, dual display mode but I go top bottom so my big my 27 inches up top my laptop's down underneath I used to go left right but now I go up and down so when I kept looking down at the laptop and had the the nice display oh, I look yeah. up at the low res one I do that all day long and I was getting eye pain serious headaches wow and so I thought it had to do with that. And so I was like, well, easy fix, I guess, is go get a retina display. So I did that, and I haven't had those problems. So it definitely was eye strain. Um, but the problem I have now is every time I unplug or plug back in, I'm afraid that it's just not going to detect the display. And it's using a very typical, you know, there's no converter or anything. It uses the uh, USB-C port on the new MacBook Pro. Yeah. From two years ago or last year. So what's the fix or the remedy whenever it doesn't detect it? You got to like power something down or restart your machine. I found out that I can log out and log back in. So it's all in software. I used to restart. Every logging out is just as bad because it's going to kill all my terminal sessions, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Yeah. And, but that fixes it. And it actually works maybe 70% of the time. What if there's a list you can refresh or something like that? I spent some time back in the day trying to do all the things and there's just nothing that, so mostly I'm just like, I feel like I need to just, like, I don't know who to blame at this point. I feel like it's Mac OS 
or some sort of LG driver thing. Nobody else that I can find on the internet has this problem. So it's one of those ungoogleable the things. Um, yeah. So I've been living there thinking I need to change something in my life, but I just don't know exactly what I want to do. So I haven't done anything, but it seems like it's getting worse lately. Do you happen to have $5,000 just <laughs> lying around? <laughs> Maybe we should take out a small business loan. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna get a monitor you're gonna get a monitor <laughs> yeah we'll just give them out sure why not, why not? <laughs> i mean that's what i'm saying though like so I, you asked the question earlier will this be a series or will this be you know a future product line my hope is yes because wow we have some terrible scenarios so either fix the software apple to not deal with jared's problems or <laughs> Just Come create, on, guys. you know, lesser expensive versions of this super awesome Pro Display XDR. I mean, like, thank you uh, for taking care of all the pros, but you you kind of went a little too far on the pro. You know right. what I mean? Like, bring us a semi pro. You know, dial, yeah, dial it down back to... for you know the uh, yeah, the semi pros. Yeah, the, the, the farm uh, club, the farm league. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, we can hang there. I think we need uh, display for us minor <laughs> leaguers. We we need a monitor that that works better, that looks good, that has the same kind of Apple esque or Apple, you know, tried and true kind of uh, you know attributes of like amazingness, but without this you know amazingly high price tag, four thousand nine ninety nine, and of course you want the nano texture, right? Because I mean, mm-hmm. like, who wouldn't? I mean, like, I want the nano. <laughs> well, texture. if you're gonna spend the money, you might as well go for the. The question is, can you even see it? Maybe. You can see the effects of it, but not see it. Anyways. Well, let's move on to, wait, wait, to one things more thing. that were... Okay. I w- Nick, did you hear the booze or what I thought was booze when they mentioned the prices for the display in the stand? Did you hear uh, that too? No, I don't think I did. I I swear, and I could be maybe someone in Slack and say this, but when they announced the prices for it, because they kind of went, they went through all of it. And at the very end, they're like, and this is going to cost this much, and it's going to cost that much. And when they were like, the pro display is going to be this much, then for nano, it's going to be this much. And then, oh, so the, the stand is a separate thing yeah. you have to buy. I swear I heard like uh, either surprise or booze or just just unhappiness, it sounded like. Maybe maybe it was just like grumbling or something. Okay. I don't know. I, I might have been keying in on something else there. I was very surprised when they started going through this the prices for literally everything. Because I think they even mentioned yeah. if you wanted to put the visa mount on it, it's like one ninety nine. And they, they mentioned that on stage and I was yeah. very surprised by that. Um but I guess that was like the here's our thousand dollar awesome thing, and then don't worry, if you can't afford that, here's a two hundred dollar thing that you can plug into any any other crappy visa mount. <laughs> I want counterbalance only. Counterbalance, rotate to portrait. Give it to me now. All right, we can move on, Jared. Okay. So, I don't think we want to cover every single aspect. This is a two-hour and 15-minute keynote, and they were moving pretty fast. Craig Federighi was just ripping off Mm -hmm. things. And so there's a a lot to talk about. So maybe what we could do is hit on things that we think are most impactful from the software developer perspective. Um, and then also maybe things that we found to be the most interesting or features that we're the most excited about. There was, you know, hey, there's new Memoji Mumbo Jumbo. I don't think we need to go into to all that. Of course, that's actually what I want to talk about. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, if that's what you're most excited about, then 
then please. Uh, I was just going to reference your note, actually. More Memoji Mumbo Jumbo. That's, I, when I saw that, I was like, oh, yeah, Jared's like, he's not exactly excited about <laughs> I'm that. I'm not excited about that. Um, <laughs> well, right beneath that note, though, however, is in all caps, video rotation, which I think is like, it's got to be mentioned. That's a huge feature. That I don't know how often you take videos. And I often keep my device. I don't know. What's the, what's the feature called where you can rotate it? Or you can like lock the rotation of it. What is that called? Yes. Rotation lock. Rotation. So I always leave mine mostly in locked. And then sometimes I'll move it to unlocked if I'm going to watch some videos. So I can just turn it, right? I don't always keep it there because it's sort of painful. But, you know, when you have in that mode, that means that you're, you know, I never know if my videos can be portrait or landscape. And always, somehow, like the other day I took a video and I had to literally flip my phone the opposite way. Like upside down because somehow when I started recording it, it locked that perspective uh. and that rotation. And I was like, wow. So I, I noticed it. I'm like, well, I'm not going to st- stop this video. I'm just going to rotate my my uh, my phone and kept going. And uh, But back in the day, I mean, I guess prior to today, you could not rotate your video. Otherwise, you're stuck. That is going to be really nice. That one got a huge that one got a huge applause because I think we've all been oh my gosh, feeling right. that pain. I mean, how many videos have you taken or shared or wanted to share that you couldn't because it was locked in the wrong rotation? Then you can maybe go buy a third-party app, and then you got to save two videos and all this. What? Why can't you just, like a photo, change its rotation? I, I don't know why. Maybe it's – is it that hard, do you think? I guess it's frame by frame, 30, 30 frames a second, 24 frames a second. Well, they haven't ever had editing tools on videos aside from the – the clipping, you know, you can, right. you can crop Change length. Yeah. But that's not affecting the actual video frames, right? That's affecting which frames are used. And the ed- the photo editing's always been more robust True. in iOS than the video. So this, this comes alongside more advanced video editing mm-hmm. tools, which is nice to have too. But video rotation being the pain that everybody has been feeling. And so I think that's why, that's why you all capsed it appropriately. Of course. So that's a consumer thing that we're all excited about because it makes our lives a little better. But from a developer perspective, I'm curious what you guys think is the biggest news with the developer focus. I have one thing I'm eyeing that I think is probably the most impactful for us, just developers at large. Of course, there's other things that are specific to people developing for Apple platforms, but curious what your thoughts are on on big announcements that will affect more than just Apple platform developers. I think the biggest thing, because I'm not an Apple platform developer, the biggest thing that I'm excited for, uh, and I'm, I'm trying to weigh if I'm excited because of the consumer side of it, like being able to actually use it or uh, being able to yeah. implement it. But it is something that, that like from a website, you'll definitely have to implement. And that is the sign-in with Apple. Uh, I'm really excited about that and the um, privacy, like the focus on privacy with that. And specifically like, they they give you garbage email addresses that are completely random for every single app and you can enable or disable those at will so that you you have more much more control over what you're actually receiving in terms of spam and i think that you can trust apple a little bit more about what kind of data they're going to provide to whatever you're trying to sign into over facebook or google mm. Yeah, I mean, that's the one I was thinking of for sure. When I saw that, I thought, okay, this might actually change uh, the web to a certain degree because it is a universal s- sign-in for, across all platforms that 
uh, Apple uses, um, and it uses Face ID, which is incredibly compelling from an end user perspective because it's just so easy and fast. And they're actually making Face ID 30% faster, which was another thing that got a huge applause. Um, but it's something that is going to be implemented in a lot, maybe like Apple Pay, where it's going to take actual developer adoption to get it out there on the web, right? Because it's going to be instead of or in addition to all the typical social sign-in options now. So I assume there'll be some sort of JavaScript SDK or something that you'll have to integrate. But I think it's a it's a very secure and private way to to get authentication out there um, in ways that it seems like it's better in almost every way than what's currently on offer. Well, the what are the reasons why you use a third-party sign-in like that? Like the reason why you ever sign in with Facebook or Twitter or others, what were the reasons typically? Was it simply for the authentication process or was it for the network or was it for, you know, the connected to the network and friends and, you know, being able to connect to different identities? Think, and how does this I differ? I think the only time I ever use it is when I need to sign up fast and I'm on my phone and I don't want to fill out their, their um, sign-up form. I can just push this button right. and then click approve and I'm in. Magic. Yeah. I will never use it unless I'm given no other options. Like I'll always look for the or use yeah. email option because I just like to have those things siloed and not all talking to each other and following each other. I mean, that, that being said, once I'm signed in and I, I'm liking a service, if they're like, hey, you can get value by adding this account, maybe like you said, for the network side, like find people you already know, then I will, you know, on a case-by-case -case basis, allow that. But I'll, I'll never choose those. I'll never sign in with Google or Facebook or Twitter or GitHub unless I have to. Has it become generally frowned upon to offer these third-party authentication processes? I, mean, I still see people doing it with GitHub and others, especially in developer yeah. tools. I mean, we do offer it as an option yeah. for our website. So I don't, I don't think it's... I'm not against it. Like this is immoral to do. I I think it's not frowned upon either. I think it's even new websites you see them rolled out and they have these options. Yeah. I think if it's I think if it's the only way, sometimes it's kind of like really because I feel like you're trying to get something from me. Did they name this service Apple? Sign in with Apple. I missed this part of it actually. I think it's called Sign in with Apple. Like that's, that's like the button pretty, they put. It's pretty novel. Yeah. I like that. Uh, but the cool part of it is what. Nick was talking about where in addition to the actual sign-in, so what's cool is when you do the sign-in with Apple and then you face ID, it brings up this dialog box on your phone or I'm, I'm assuming in your Safari web browser that the, the website can then request access to certain aspects of your profile. So kind of like an OAuth kind of thing where it's like, you know, they want access to this, that, and the other thing. Mm -hmm. And you can, you can click on a button that, that provides whatever level of access you want to grant to the website. <laughs> And uh, one of those things, obviously, is your email address. But like Nick said, they have right underneath email address another option, which is I think it's called random address, or I don't, I can't remember what they actually called it in the button. But it they generate for you a unique random address for that website that then forwards to your actual email address. So it's like an iCloud address hosted by Apple, which forwards to your email address that Apple knows. And it's on a website by website basis, so it's not like you get one rent. You get one of these obfuscated addresses. You get one for each site, and so it allows you to toggle them off and on, 
and cut off their access down the road if you really want to. Now, one yeah. thing that I'm really What's concerned about with this, potentially, uh, obviously we don't know how it's going to actually be rolled out, but uh, the way I'm picturing it in my head right now with that that dialogue that pops up, that looks like a very OS-specific dialogue. And I'm thinking like on my Mac, is this going to be like Apple Pay, where I only see Apple Pay if I'm using Safari? Um, and will I not be able to use this sign-in with mm. Apple if I'm using Chrome or Firefox or something else? And will that affect adoption if most of your, your you know, not very many people use Safari on the desktop? So that could be a, a limiting right. factor. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. My guess, my intuition would be it works just like Apple Pay, and it's probably going to be inside mm -hmm. Safari versus an OS-level thing that Chrome and Firefox and et cetera can use. I, I wonder what the if we could speculate of their motivation for doing this, would it just be a shot across the bow in terms of this whole focus on privacy in comparison to say other competitors that they've, or other large companies in the world they've, you know, they're, they're constantly saying, Hey, you're, you're frowned upon for the way you're treating people's information and privacy. Like, what do you, let's, let's speculate on the motivation for this. For Apple's motivation versus yeah. the user. Apple's. Yeah. I think most of Apple's motivations with these things, unless they have a subscription service to attach to it, I think then you fall back to the motivation being vendor lock-in. Mm -hmm. So Apple ecosystem lock-in. So this is yet another place where your Apple ID is now important to you. And it's also, I think, like a good marketing thing for them because I think they do try and focus on themselves uh, on marketing themselves as the privacy-focused giant tech company as opposed to Google or Facebook right. or Microsoft. And this Apple sign-in would work with any platform. It's not Apple-specific, right? We just speculate which browsers would support it. So any platform, anywhere that, any Apple platform, but then you also have on the sign-in side any website, or I'm sure there's probably third-party apps that could use it in a similar fashion to create you know, an iCloud-based list of users or whatever. Yeah. It would work anywhere there, but... I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't expect it to have signing with Apple working on Android OS, right? Because you have to do the actual Apple authentication dance on your on the client side, which they wouldn't have there unless they had kind of like a one password style Apple app for Android, which does, seems like a stretch for what they're willing mm -hmm. to do. And on the TechCrunch article I'm reading here, it says, what's the difference between, you know, other sign-ins with and signing with Apple is Apple says it can authenticate a user using Face ID, as we've talked about, on their iPhone without turning over any personal data to the third-party company. So I think, you know, I think if Apple's vested interest is in secured users or secure users in general, that would be a good motivation, not just simply lock-in. I guess it's a version of lock-in. It's like, hey, if you trust us, right. you know, you're loyal, which is a, you know, a variation on lock-in, I suppose, right? Mm -hmm. Loyalty. For sure. And not to mention, I, I guess every time they secure an Apple sign-in, mm -hmm. they're removing a, a Google sign-in or a Facebook sign-in, which Ooh, each true. one of those is, you know, valuable to their competitors. Yeah, that's a good point. But for end users, it's that that random email address is what I think is the real carrot for that and the, just the fast face ID. So that yeah. random email address is kind of interesting, though, because... I guess I don't know how it's getting routed back, but there's times when the application you sign in, the email address you give them, 
becomes very important to them. Sometimes in display and sometimes in like communications and right. other reply to kind of scenarios is with support. And so like if it's if it's this random email address, you know, it's not a known standard for how to use or utilize an email address in a system, you know, that that these rando email addresses might actually be harmful at some point. It definitely obfuscates it for the for the end website owner. So if we look at it from our perspective with gmail.com, yeah. we have people signing in and we we know their email addresses. Well, um, that's also nice because at times we can cross-reference that with an email address on their GitHub account and be like, oh yeah, we know who this person is. And with this, it's going to be like user 475349 at apple.whatever, whatever, <laughs> And we're like, well, we can't really, even Gravatar, for instance, that's a feature, right? Like I put right. in my email address and now you can use my Gravatar and that would no longer work because it's going to be some ridiculous email. So totally definitely, true. yeah. It's bet it's better for the end user in most cases. It's better for Apple, and then for the website implementing it, there's a slight removal of information there. But that's the I mean that's that's kind Can of. Can you speculate? Game. Do you think that that will affect adoption from developers? It's hard to say. I mean, I I think would it stop us? I don't think it would stop us necessarily. It make us think twice. Probably depends on each you know circumstance. Um, probably bigger websites where they, especially for, especially on companies that are actually are selling and reselling <laughs> yeah. your data, they're not going to want to do this, right? Because they don't get your data. And so, well, then again, I mean, if they connected some sort of gravitar kind of scenario to it too, where these obfuscated email addresses still point back to the Apple service and maybe Apple is serving these images instead of gravitar. I mean, that would be yeah. one scenario solution for that. And, or just knowing, you know, at the account level, uh, what the Gravatar might be and actually use Gravatar and just use this obfuscated email address to point back to the account and the account knows the Gravatar, the actual email address to associate with, you know? Well, there was a feature that they announced with regard to messages that kind of plays into that, which is when you message new people mm. and you're both on the iOS platform, you can now basically broadcast your contact info with the message. So instead of it saying... When I when I message somebody new, they're like, "Hey, here's a random phone number who's messaging you." They can actually send Jared Santo is messaging you along with my avatar. I'm not sure what else information. And so in that regard, they're kind of push pushing that data to the the other iOS device before it's being requested. And so they're representing that person there. So maybe they could do a similar thing with this whatever this SDK is for signing with Apple. Yeah. And provide like an avatar URL or yeah. I I suppose it's you know, possible that blah. that could be related. Like what information you decide to publicly share when, when like texting someone new, for example, maybe that's similar information that a website would get when you're signing in with Apple. So yeah. maybe a, an avatar would be built in. I like in. that. Uh, I often text people when I meet people rather than like exchange business cards or whatever. I'm like, just give me your phone number. I'll text you right now. And I, I right. say, Hey, this is Adam Stachowiak. And you know, I might even like follow up with all this information manually it, it would be nice to be able to send an introductory text with a known iMessage user and share some particulars with them in the process can you share a contact can you share your own contact yeah. without prompting prompting how do you mean prompting so i say hey nice to meet you i'd love to meet up later and then you <laughs> s- <laughs> i don't know this fake conversation we're having we just met and then you say oh give me your phone number i'll text you Right. And so I give you my phone number, blah, 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 blah. 
and you type it in, couldn't you just send me your contact yeah. right then without any sort of prompting? Like I'm not requesting it. Like yeah, yeah, you as could. a as a rich object. I never yeah, you could. consider that. Um, I think you might need to send the text first and then go to your contact and then say share it and then share it with the phone number or go through the process of like learning their name and associating their contact number that they just gave you. No, but it's your name. name. It's your info. Yeah, you can do that through the share. Well, sheet. I know, but you have to say who to share it to. And it's just a number. Just the phone number. Point. Like they yeah, give you I mean, your phone number, you just share your yeah. contact to them. Yeah. But then you find out they got a green bubble and you're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> gotta go blue it's not gonna work gotta go blue what happens if you try to share something like a contact with a non-iphone user like a non-messages is I it think SMS? it still works does it I mean, vcard's just a standard I believe right I don't know I mean I know vcard is a standard but would they just send a vcard object or, or I think data? so like a, yeah, I would, I would a assume multi, so would that be an MMS then because SMS is just text only unicode you're speaking a whole new language for me, man. I'm tracking you, but I don't. I don't. If I don't you don't have this. the iMessage transport facility, you have to use a transport format. So, right. you know, SMS is simple messaging service. It's Unicode text. Well, if I'm trying to send something that's not Unicode text, it's it's rich data. Right. Um, they used to have MMS, which was multimedia messaging something something, and I think that still exists. Do you guys remember when text messages used to cost different based on if there was like a picture in there or not? So dark yes. days. Yeah. The dark days before iMessage. Well, I'm just wondering if you did that to a green bubble, if it would switch to a MMS and then it would charge you 50 cents or something. Let's speculate on something new. Okay. Uh, who is excited about the support for Xbox and PlayStation controllers on Apple Arcade? It makes me more interested in gaming. On we, we can't see your hand raised, Jared. Uh, it's partially up. Go ahead. Okay. It, it makes me more interested in gaming on Apple displays, but I'm not a huge gamer to or Apple displays, Apple TVs. I'm not a huge gamer to begin with. The only game I've ever tried mm. is Alto's Adventure, and that's easy enough to play with the the simple Apple remote. Yeah. But um, yeah, I can't. I, I'll try it if there's a game that that comes out. I have a, a PlayStation controller. I would try it. I could take yeah. it or leave it, I guess. I don't think it's going to sell any subscriptions. Yeah. Or sell any Apple TVs either. I think it's a nice to have. This goes back to the last time we talked, Adam, when I was we talked about Apple Arcade. That's why I'm bringing it back up. Yeah, you're bringing it back. Well, what I was asking for then, I still ask for. And I think, First I think it's support. fair to say that Apple's not taking gaming seriously with the Apple TV until they actually ship a controller with the Apple TV. And this is not that. This is saying, well, you can use your Xbox or your PlayStation 4 controller. And to that, I would, I don't, first of all, I'm a Nintendo guy, so I don't have those, but let's set that aside. To that, I would say, well, I'm just going to play my Xbox or my PS4 then, because they're better systems for this. And also, these Apple Arcade games are designed for phones. And so, are they going to, are they going to have rich controls like you would have on a console game? when you play them on your Apple TV or is it just the up, down, left, right that you can now use? Mm. You know, it's nice that you can use a nice controller for that. Um, and it did get some cheers from the audience because it, it's definitely a better circumstance than they're mm -hmm. currently in with the Apple TV. I just don't think it's going to really move the needle much. I was wondering if the, because why recreate the wheel if there's already good wheels out there that are have 
you know, mass adoption already, right? Be, that was yeah. my thought was why they chose that direction was like, hey, you've probably already got one of these systems and it's a gateway. You already know the controller, you're already familiar with it, and maybe there's some games that are coming out on Apple Arcade or the future of Apple Arcade, how you can subscribe, et cetera, that you can easily move to this system and in addition to pay, maybe, not even a replacement of, and be familiar with the controlling system already. I think that's hardcore gamers are really attached to their to their um, their controllers, right? Which is why I don't think they're playing games on Apple TV necessarily, anyways. But I would say that my answer to that, why I think it's a bigger deal to ship a first party controller as part of the package, not even as an optional part, is because as a game designer, I can't design my game around a controller unless I know it's going to be there. That's and true. the best games take full advantage of the input devices. That's true. And That's so you, true. you water it down because you're like, well, they might have an awesome controller or they might be using their sideways little Apple remote. Yeah, and so all I can do is these four buttons because it's lowest common denominator. That's true. I didn't even consider that, honestly. Um, input's a real big deal. Yeah. That's true. As a game designer, you're going to have a real, real tough time because you're essentially designing a responsive game you know, with layers of complex user play uh, on top of whatever input device or control system you have. And without that knowledge, you're kind of limited in your dream. Yep. And so you're never going to make the great game for Apple TV. There's not going to be the game that you have to get an Apple TV yeah. to play this game because it's lowest common denominator games. Yeah. And that's why I want so. to bring this back up because I know that for you, last time you were saying that, you know, this first party support. And I was thinking, I wonder if Jerry's going to be excited about the fact that they're partnering with two of the best controllers out there. It's definitely better. Like I said, it's a step up from the current scenario, but I don't think it's ultimately going to make the Apple TV a gaming platform all of a sudden. Do you think that this could be a kind of a stopgap solution until they come out with maybe their own gaming platform? Because it seems like that might be the way that they're going with, uh, with the game subscription. Yeah. But then also, like, it seems like it's a similar thing to what they're doing with AR. Like, AR is not that interesting when you're playing Minecraft and having to hold an iPad up in front of your face for the hours that you might play it. Right. But it's really compelling as a way to get people familiar with the technology so that you can build glasses later. Yeah, I think that's, if that's def, if that's the a progress that they're moving, then I, I think that is a, a good strategy. Um, it also allows them to not invest as much as they would, you know, need to. Because it's it's when you when you build a controller for a console or for a gaming device, you are stuck with that controller. I mean, that, that's that's the case. Like it, that controller will define that unit. Even I mean, especially if you look at the Wii and the Wii U. It's set, you know, the Wii U was was defined by its its input device. Um, so maybe this is a way they can maybe let the market play out a little bit while they're building that, you know, while they're designing it and not maybe dive in too fast and make a mistake because we know Apple's perfectly capable of building bad remotes because the Apple TV remote is not a good remote. <laughs> Sorry. Mm. I like mm. Apple hardware, but man. What's the, what's the number one thing you hate about it? I never know if it's mm -hmm. right side up or upside down. I got to look at it every if time. If you grab the wrong side, like in complete darkness and you tap the wrong side, you're pausing your video or you're swiping and going like, you're scrubbing right. too far. Like it's <laughs> unexpected gestures yeah. take place. Unexpected gestures or, or it slips down into the couch cushion. Like it doesn't, oh, yes. I understand the desire for small and thin, but, but 
in my I'm on my phone or my watch when I'm mobile. Like I'm I'm sitting on a couch watching TV. Do I need to have like the smallest, thinnest, you know, piece of gum to control it? I just think it's a wrong. But you know, you know, it's smaller and thinner. The previous Apple remote, and I loved that one. Did I you mean, love that it, one? I didn't have accidental gestures, so yes. It worked yeah. much better, but I never had love for it because I could never find the stick. <laughs> True. <laughs> what drives me crazy is latency. Yes. I don't know about you guys, but I have one. So I have a couple Apple uh, TVs in my house, and one of them, the latency drives yep. me crazy from the gesture to on screen. Like it's it's unusable. I have to literally open up my phone and use the app instead because that's more reliable. I end up having to pull the, mm. the plug out of it and then restarting the whole Apple TV, and then it kind of gets back to normal. Yeah, like the latency just yeah. gets so terrible with that. So I don't know if it's it's Bluetooth, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I mean, it just you're obviously going to get kind of far away. I think my, I might be, you know, 20, 30 feet away. It's still within its limit. So I'm like, I don't see why. It's not like it's a complex gesture mm-hmm. either. You know, it's not like three or four fingers and it's lots of co- compute and then the right. gesture on screen. It's just one finger trying to move to the right. Yeah, it seems like basic. Well, speaking Very of latency, basic. the dic- the Siri dictation on the Apple TV, I think, is one of the most latent of all interactions. I mean, you hit the button and you sit there and you're like, hmm. Then you're like, maybe it's working, but the UI doesn't refresh, so I'll start to talk. And then you start to talk and it comes in right in the middle of you talking, so it gets the second half of your sentence. It's it's terrible. Mm. It's really bad. I don't really talk to that remote very much. I will say, however, I loved Xfinity whenever they had their talk. I don't know if either of you guys have ever experienced Xfinity's X1 platform or whatever, but Mm-mm. it is amazing. It was the first time I'd ever actually used voice to something, you know, on on a remote. And it was amazing. And I, I don't have Xfinity anymore because it's so expensive. Uh, we now have DirecTV, but uh, I really missed that talk feature. It was the best of all talk features. And it never failed. It was always right. Well, speaking of top features, we failed to mention the top feature for iOS, which was like it got its own video and everything. Which is dark mode. I mean, that's the that's the headliner, right? Yes. Who's excited about dark mode? I want everything dark all the time. I hope my dark mode excitement here doesn't get drowned out by the execution of it like it did on Mojave. Because mm. I was not extremely happy with dark mode on Mojave. I don't rock I think dark it did mode okay. on Mojave at all. No, it what I what I don't like about it is that so I don't like the dark mode because it, it doesn't look that good on Mac OS at least. And then they took away this option to, which is why actually on my, my main desktop, I'm still not on Mojave. So I'm going to wait. So under the general settings, you can make your appearance graphite. Um, and then also select the option to use dark menu bar and dock. And so because that feature is removed in Mojave, because they assume if you want dark, you're in Mojave, you're in the dark mode. Well, mm. what happens if you want dark and not in the dark mode? I don't want all my apps to be dark mode. I just want my bar and, you know, my buttons to be gray tone, not all bright, you know, red, green, yellow, for example, you know. So I didn't move to Mojave on this machine, long story short. Nick, you were very excited about dark mode mm-hmm. on Mojave. Are you still using yep, it? haven't changed. And I really like it. <laughs> Turn it on and just kept it, huh? Nick's over there saying, Adam, you're wrong, I love it. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I mean, I most of the time have like a full screen iTerm window that's dark. So like, that's what I see. And then when I switch over to, you know, Chrome or whatever, it's usually blinding. 
Um, but I'm, I'm actually using like extensions now to make site, like a majority of sites that I go to like GitHub, for example, I make that dark now. Uh, but then just like, I don't know. I like the look and feel of messages and the only thing that sticks out like a sore thumb right now is Slack. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's, so that's exactly it is the, you know, which doesn't exactly make me not want to use dark mode on, on an iOS device, like my iPhone or whatever. But, you know, you do have to sort of like, you start to pick and choose which apps you may or may not use because, I mean, like you said, Chrome has extensions that do it. And they don't even mm-hmm. do it that well. They're, they're okay at the dark mode portion of it. And then Slack is behind. I mean, Slack. More puns for me, thank you. Um, <laughs> you know, they're now. slacking in this dark mode era. And I think that everybody has their own unique ideas. But what gets dark mode well is not only the fact that it's dark, it's the right tones mm-hmm. of dark and the right usage of color to represent the things that need to be color. That's, I, I think, is uh, is like where you go from, I was going to try and come up with an analogy, but I can't, but basically the, the nuance between good mm-hmm. and great. You know, somebody's good at it and somebody's great at it. And I only want to use great dark mode apps. Mm. YouTube, for example, is pretty good with a dark mode app. I like their dark mode. It's not bad. Yeah. But, you know, I think that's where I kind of want to choose dark mode and get the best if I can. And if I can't, then I'm just going to go back to what I was using. And I think it will be a different a different thing on iOS, too, because like there's a lot of apps that already have dark modes because they're taking advantage mm-hmm. of the, <laughs> the true black OLED display. And uh, I think it was, was the latest um, Accidental Tech Podcast that was kind of talking about the design challenges of a truly black display. Like you can't really show shadows with that because it, the pixels are right. off. Um, and so it, it'll be interesting to see that, but like I'm an Apple music user and I like it. I don't like the white in it. So I'm excited for that to be black and like everything that I use day to day messages is, is one, you know, that'll yes. be better black. I'm in a, I'm in a similar circumstance there. I'm in Dark mode in Mojave. I turned it on so I could talk about it in Apple Nerds chat. I turned it right back <laughs> off again. I, I, I didn't like it at all, and mostly it's because it's like the uncanny valley of darkness. Because a lot of stuff is still light, like like you said, Safari browser, Slack, mm-hmm. etc. It's like why go halfway if I'm gonna go halfway? It's not really doing anything for me. Yeah. On on mobile, I do prefer dark mode at nighttime. So I like it dark at night, and I like it light during the day. And I get that with a lot of the apps who design, you know, developers take the app very seriously. And which I happen to be a lot of the apps that I use at nighttime or the early morning app where it's still kind of dark out, but I want to check a few things. So TweetBot goes dark mode. Overcast, if I'm listening to podcasts at night, goes dark mode. Uh, Apollo, which is a Reddit client, goes dark mode. And these are really good on the eyes at nighttime when you don't want something super bright. But then I'll be like, well, I'm going to check my email. And I switch (laughs) to mail app and it just blows me away with how bright it is. And so I'm excited for it, especially if I can set it up to work on a timer. So if I can have it be dark mode when it's when the sun's down in my locale and light mode when it's up, I'll be a happy camper. I would assume that that's the case. Would you want it to swap on you mid-use? For yeah. example, if you're in an app, you're just like, oh, dark mode. That happens sometimes. It's kind of cool. Yeah. You're like, oh, I must have went outside. Mm-hmm. How, did I, how did I end up out here? <laughs> Gosh, where are my steps taking me? <laughs> I should really look up while I'm walking. <laughs> I guess oh. I'm outside now. Yeah. What are you going to say, Nick? Uh, Nothing. Nothing. So dark mode is cool. Uh, and I think that 
you know, to recap my expectations, I sure hope they do it well. Yeah. I, I think on the phone, it's probably easier than on a desktop, but I could be wrong. A lot more real estate, a lot more, you know, I don't know. I feel like the, the iOS design style has, they're similar on Mac OS and iOS, but not the exact same. And so I just hope that, um, it's also a much more rich experience too when you're on a desktop. So on a less rich experience, or at least from an inter- interface perspective, um, it might be a little easier to execute. Obviously, there's lots of little things uh, in the iOS side which are somewhat interesting. The HomeKit secure video. They're they're doing more with HomeKit. There's HomeKit enabled routers, which I didn't understand even what that does. But they name Linksys and Eero as being HomeKit enabled uh, in the future. And I'm not sure if they expanded on what that even implies. Isn't that something about? But the the other big. I, I oh, go think ahead. I could be wrong, uh, but I thought it was something about like more securely exposing HomeKit devices outside of your network through those routers. Mm. So that they aren't compromised yeah. uh, if they do a, a, a port forward mm-hmm. or something. So, say that again, Nick. What, what is it? I think it's so that you could access like HomeKit stuff outside of your your um, network, your home network. Like the the router will be in charge of intelligently opening ports when it needs uh-huh. to for those HomeKit devices. Right. I did. They definitely mentioned security, but I didn't actually pick up on what it was doing but i guess that makes well they, sense. they added the uh secure video stuff which was unfortunate that like i have some arlo cameras and they won't i don't think they're part of it but like they'll be able to do processing and and like detection of things in those videos by sending that off to an ipad in your house or a home pod in your house like some other computer that can do it and then send the data back so it's all being done in network which is pretty cool again marketing for we're the secure platform yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I also see that uh, my favorite, you mentioned Eero, and what else, Jared, as the options for it? Cisco or? Linksys. Linksys, yeah, I was going to say. So my preferred platform is is Ubiquity, and I use the Unify platform. Um, and they're also HomeKit ready. I don't know if they have the router available to them, but that'd be pretty cool. So on the iOS front, the other, what we call big news, I think, is they're now splitting it out to iPad OS. So there's now iOS and iPad OS, which seems reasonable. I, I always like the idea of one one OS to rule them all, but it definitely showed the iPad was the one that was lacking in features and all that. So this was a part where I saw the announcement of Switch and I saw they were doing some new UI widgets and stuff for iPad OS, but I had to hop out at that point. So not sure if you guys have details on what iPad OS is that's different than iOS or if it's just a rebranding of the of a fork or something. But I got two notes for this. Shared folders, external drives. That's all I got. It you know, when I look at iPad OS, I'm not a developer in that front, so I don't know what the nuanced difference might be. But what I can see from their their uh, UI changes is that you definitely have things that are very iOS like that need to be special iPad ways on the iPad. So I think in that regard, it makes sense. And I'm wondering if maybe there's just like some sort of like, you know, known iOS core that adds an iPad thing on top of the iOS core, for example. Maybe that's how they actually came up with iPad OS. I can't imagine why it would be a completely separate OS. Yeah. 
Maybe there's some shared libraries. Oh, obviously. I'm sure it isn't uh, completely separate. I just wonder, code base wise, like it's yeah. a fork or it's a dependency, like is it layered on top? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, like what it has that I saw as big features over iOS was the like a little bit of a change to the home screen, not as drastic as as I think some rumors were were uh, leaning towards, but. You can put widgets on the home screen now, which makes widgets usable to me because I never go like swipe over to that that widgets uh, view mm-hmm. on the phone or on the iPad. Um, but it has that, and then it has uh, some more advanced controls for multi-window support, which uh, looks pretty cool, and will make that much more usable. Uh, usable, and then the other big change that I saw was you can you have more control over the on-screen keyboard, and you can move that around and. Um, shrink it down so that you can just use it with one one hand or one finger and they support swipe now so they uh you can just literally use one finger to type which is really nice mm. that was actually a good feature with the shrinking the keyboard down and moving it to either left or right so that you can use just one hand mm-hmm. to thumb or to you know single finger kind of uh you know holding the ipad because i mean you get it's a two-handed device yeah. You know, I would even argue that the iPhone can be a two-handed device, but it's a different show. Um, you know, that's really cool that they've actually come up with that. I never, I, I guess, what would take them so long to do something like that? That would seem, like you would expect that to be like, hey, you plan to use this with two hands, and you're not going to be able to type with two hands if you're holding it. Older versions hands. of iOS had it where it would split the keyboard in half, and you'd have half the keys on the oh, left yeah. and half the yeah. keys on the right, so you could use both thumbs. I think this will be much better. I yeah. use that one time. I'm like, what is <laughs> yeah. this perversion? This is crazy. I just <laughs> never use it again. I've actually, I've actually gotten rid of the iPad. I no longer have one. Um, yeah. And ever since the phone got bigger, I've never felt, I've never, I haven't mm-hmm. missed it. Every once in a while, I'll be like, oh, that would be nice when I see somebody reading like something really big and beautiful on a really nice screen. I'm like, oh, I should get it. And I think this again. is the, I have no, I think this is the exact reason why they're they're making this switch to iPad OS is because they don't want it to just be a big phone anymore. They want it to have these more distinguished yeah. features that that they can sell to you. So here's a feature they can sell to me, and they're trying to via this uh, thing called yes. Sidecar, which now, yeah, which is an integration between iPad OS and Mac OS. You can use your iPad as a separate display or as an extension display of your Mac, which there's been 30 part apps that do this. I think some of them do it mm-hmm. pretty well. I remember way back, I had the iPad 2 and I used one back then and it was just like too slow for it really to work. But I know there's some software that does this, but now it's just all integrated. So that could, what would, that could get me what to buy an this iPad. be a selling thing for you? Like, why would you use it? Because now I can use it as just an extension of what I'm mm-hmm. already doing. So I can just have another screen on my Mac without any sort of. It's just another use for the device. You know? I, I actually do this right now. I have the um, the Luna display, which is a third party. It's actually a dongle that you plug in, like a USB-C dongle that you plug into your Mac, and then it uh, does over Wi-Fi or over the cable to the, the iPad, and then you can just use it as a second display. And I love this when I'm going off, uh, getting away from my 38-inch monitor and you know go to a coffee shop. I can at least have my 15-inch and then you know a little, I have the 11-inch iPad and... Uh, so just a little bit, you know, I can throw slack over there or throw something and right. it is very fast, very, um, there, there's hardly any lag with that device and, uh, you can use your finger or the Apple pencil to move around. So I've actually used it to 
stream a website that has like a, you know, a whiteboard that you would use your mouse to draw on. I just use the Apple pencil on that and it worked fantastically. Um, but I'm just wondering if sidecar will, will eliminate like all of the lag or maybe have better features. Cause it might have, you know, more built in OS, um, mm. abilities. One of the examples I gave was actually somebody doing rich things on the Mac via the iPad. Mm-hmm. So I can imagine that your wishes will be granted. And they, they mentioned something about like any apps that have tablet support and they, they put up uh, icons for like Photoshop and others. Uh, they just automatically would work with that. And I was wondering if, if by tablet, they meant like Wacom tablets, like they just automatically will work and, and you'll be able to use that or, or what? Hmm. Probably, but yeah, not sure. So the other big news around Mac OS that also has to do with the other OSs is the formalization of Marzipan and the naming of Marzipan. This is the the teased framework UI kit cross-platform thing from last year and the the junky uh, Mac OS apps that came to Mojave because of it. I think it was Stocks, News, Home, or the other ones. Yeah, app, uh, Home and... I think there was four. Uh, Anyways. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> They're so <laughs> inconsequential. Voice the memos. calculator. No, was it the calculator? <laughs> voice memos. Has anybody launched voice oh. memos on their Mac since that happened? No. Nope. I do actually use news, but, but that's about it. Yeah. Do you? I use it on my phone, but I, I don't think I've launched it because I just use yeah. websites on my, you know. Even the iOS app is Yeah, clunky. it is. Yeah. It's not great. I mean, like they're expecting you to name it. They just, there's just no, you know, Swift user experience. <laughs> mm. Anyways, they're calling it Catalina. Or, or is that the name the of the OS? They're calling it Catalyst. Sorry. Those are very similar. Catalina is the new Mac OS. Catalyst, that's the name of what Mar- was Marzipan, right? Yep. And it's, again, I didn't see this part, which is why I'm asking questions. Because this was, are, did they add to it? Did they make it better at all? Or did they just say, hey, you can use it now? What's the state of the, the world with non-Apple developers using this framework catalyst. I think that that's what it is, is that it's like, they never, uh, they might've internally called it Marzipan, but nothing public facing was ever called Marzipan. Right. And, uh, this was, was announced last year with the, the addition of those four apps to Mojave, but it wasn't something that you could actually use. Uh, I I've seen developers on Twitter who have gotten apps to work with by like figuring out the APIs and, and, getting it to work and, and, you know, really mm. forcing it in. Um, but the, this is the official introduction of the SDK for developers to port their, their iOS apps to, um, Mac OS. Gotcha. So we're probably going to see a whole bunch of, uh, half hours <laughs> and Mac OS apps coming down the pipeline. The, maybe the most desirable of which is going to be Twitter, right? Yes. That was the one that they, they touted. Seems the uh, the process of getting there too is pretty easy. You just open up the project, and then check the Mac checkbox, and in quotes you'll get a huge head start on transitioning an iPad app to the Mac. So maybe it's uh, it's like scaffolding, mm-hmm. you know. Good to get started, mostly replaced. Yeah, it'll be really interesting, and I, I really hope that we don't have, you know, just these these terrible apps that are decent on iPad but you know look terrible on the Mac because. It is really a whole different paradigm. You have right-click menus, and you have a menu bar, and you have yeah, it's not all true. of this stuff. You can do 
probably more things in the background. Like there's a, there's a lot that that can separate a good Mac app from a good iOS app. But at the same time, I'm excited for apps that probably would never come to the Mac to maybe come to the Mac. Specifically yeah. Overcast, I'm thinking. Right. They say Catalina is available today. Not to download, but is, it, is there a beta available today or something? The, the the public beta of Catalina, or of all this stuff, I think is this mm-hmm. summer. Okay, I so they're saying Catalyst, it's available to the Catalyst, developers right now. Catalyst is probably available too. Yeah. But going back to motivations, why would Apple do this? Are they trying to rejuvenate the Mac? Or are they trying to fight off Electron? Both. Those are my thoughts, but it seems like a whole lot of work. And a, a pretty big bet. I think you're right you know, on both fronts. And it's unfortunate uh, because I think that they could have a whole nother platform in forms of PWAs, like what Windows has been doing. Uh, but they, it seems like they're very reluctant to have any kind of support for that whatsoever uh, on Mac OS. Mm-hmm. And they have, they have it on iOS, but it is not, not very great. Um, and they did not mention yeah. anything about it in the keynote. So I'm, fearful that nothing new has changed but um mm. yeah it's ironic that the the company that first said we have a really sweet solution for you uh in terms of running apps on the phone and there are web apps like the company that said that initially uh you know a decade later or 11 years later now is the most web hostile i don't know if hostile is the right word but they're the least excited about web apps they're the more you know native apps to this day. You think it's um, because of the marketplace that the iPad has offered developers that they're just trying to give those developers useful applications on the Mac without, you know, sort, sort of like almost reviving the indie Mac developer world, which seems to have kind of like, I'm not in that space well enough to know this perfectly, but it seems like it's not quite as, lively as it was say six or seven years ago i think a lot of the indie developers are going to electron Mm -hmm. because the fact is is that they already know how to make websites so the the technologies are familiar even if they do know how to write against the cocoa frameworks the cocoa frameworks are very old uh app kit and all that is very old and so it has a lot of cruft this is the mac uh ui frameworks and if I can use technologies that I'm pretty good at because I already build websites, plus I can get cross-platform support, um, it's kind of the easy button. And the thing about any developers is that we're, we're indie. We don't have big budgets. We don't have lots of time. We need to actually optimize for platform breadth with a little list amount of work possible. So there's, there's less incentive than there's ever been to build a native Mac-only application. And put it, especially put it in the Mac App Store, which has been kind of a flop in comparison to at least the iOS App Store. So, yeah, I think they're grasping at straws, trying to say, "Hey, come back!" You know, you can. There's a lot of people who are even making Mac apps that are that have actually removed their applications from the Mm -hmm. App Store. Yeah. Um, I think One Password is potentially one of them. I think they're still in there now, but they kind of had this weird in there out there kind of scenario. There's been several that I've actually bought from the app store that have then emailed me and said, Hey, we're no longer in the app store for whatever reasons they blogged about, which were always, you know, something that was akin to the support of the indie developer lifestyle and the payment process and et cetera, all this extra red tape basically. 
and uh, have said, here's how you can migrate back to a just simply installed application. Yeah, and I think that that was one of the the themes of last year's WWDC is that, like, I want to say that it was uh, Transmit by Panic that famously left the App Store because they just couldn't do right, it. Right, and they're coming back yeah, to it. Yeah, they announced last year that they were coming back to the Mac App Store uh, because things have changed. So they, like, they've been wanting to to point to you and say, hey, the Mac App Store is, like, we are listening and we're... We're putting in improvements and making right. things better. And overall, I think that it has. Uh, definitely the Mac App Store that, mm-hmm. that launched with Mojave is much sleeker and better. Yeah. And I, I open it occasionally to see what's updated, but things automatically update in the background, whereas I don't think that they really did before for me. So Right. You'd have to launch it to get the updater to run right. back then. So hopefully they keep listening and, and doing this. And maybe this is a way to say, to maybe help developers who have been developing successful iPad and iOS apps um, and just say, Hey, bring it back to the Mac. And then once they see, mm-hmm. you know, the potential, I don't know, usage that they could get off of this platform, maybe they, they build better support for it. Or, or, you know, maybe it's a, it's like a way to easily hook you in and then also allow you to really build a compelling app that, that can work across mm-hmm. all three platforms. Yeah. The danger here is that the Mac historically has had a reputation and one that I think it's lived up to of having software that was a cut mm-hmm. above, you know, there was less software. So on the windows side, you, they had the numbers. I mean, there was just millions of programs that we used to call them back then. We used to call them programs. <laughs> That's true. We used to call them programs. Now they're apps. So they had millions of programs and the Mac didn't, but the ones that the Mac did were very polished, very personal, um, usually with people with design skills and sense. And they, you can just tell there's a lot of care put into those because the people were very passionate about the platform. Because you had to be, because there wasn't as much money over on the side of the fence, right? So the people really wanted to be there. And so maybe their thought is, well, some software is better than no software, and right now we're losing anybody. Like no one's writing new Mac apps or not enough people. And so this will get us some new software that we already have on the, our other platforms, but there's a real possibility. I mean, we see it with Apple's own app so far that these, these catalyst apps, when they come to Mac OS are not going to be high quality software. And so it might actually backfire. Maybe one last mention on software. Was anyone excited to hear about the separation, which seemed like it was even under understated about iTunes being broken up into music podcasts and what was it? Apple TV, mm-hmm. I believe, or Apple TV right. Plus. It's like it's three different apps, and now when you plug in your phone, it won't open iTunes anymore. It yeah. will just open Finder in a tab, which is cool. Um, and you can do whatever you want with it. Well, Since as podcasters, dying, we should basically. be excited that Apple Podcasts is going to be promoted as its own first-class citizen on the platform. I think that's good for podcasters. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, did, I couldn't tell if this is a, like... I came in when they already were announcing this. Is this a, is this a, uh, I know the reminders app was a ground up rewrite for iOS. Is the, is the Apple music for, for Mac OS? Was that a rewrite? Is it a, do they skin the event? You know, do they skin the old hog and hide, you know, put lipstick on everything else or that's what I'm what? curious about. Is this the Catalina version of or, uh, catalyst version of the, the music app from <laughs> iOS? Exactly. Like, that that could be really interesting. I don't think it is probably, but we'll see. You're gonna have to wait until the developers get their hands on the 
Catalina beta, and so they can start to look at the header files and pick things apart and find out what is this new Apple podcast. Is it the old iTunes with some stuff hidden, or is it a Catalyst version of the iOS music, or is it its own thing? To, to be determined. To be determined. I was excited, though, to hear that the Apple Podcast is getting a dedicated experience. You know, they mentioned syncing with other devices, etc. So every time yeah. somebody asks me, like, oh, you know, they, they, maybe they're not in, in software or whatever. They don't even listen to many podcasts. And I have to explain the podcast world to them, which seems so hard, by the way. I know. And I was like, uh, what do you say normally? I just say it's like radio, but you get to pick exactly what you want to listen to. They're like, well, can I listen to it on YouTube? I'm, well, technically, some you can. Yeah. You know, not all. <laughs> so it's like, well, how do I get access to this great information? Right. Well, you have to know somebody and get through a secret door <laughs> and use a special application. And the password is New England clam chowder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it feels so archaic to explain it. Like you know, at least maybe if Apple leads better in this front on the podcast front, they can really put podcasts as they are, like Spotify has been doing, mm-hmm. as you know, better first class citizens in their worlds. And I think that just by nature you'll start to discover because you'll you know the the operating system will market an application to you for like a better terms and say so, you know you should be interested in things on this platform here's some good things yeah and that's how you get into podcasting right now it's it's somewhat that way but the podcast app isn't that great and you know i don't know it's just not the best experience so i'm excited to see them put more love and attention into that experience Speaking of love and attention, one feature they mentioned, I can't remember who was on the iOS side or maybe it's Catalyst so everybody gets it, but they said that they're going to start to index the audio of podcasts and allow it to be searchable. Did you guys catch that? Ooh. Yes, that was really interesting. I was actually wondering, like, are they actually behind the scenes transcribing somehow everything that goes through iTunes? What, how do you think they're doing that? I think they're going to have to unless they're just actually running their models against the audio files but my guess is that they would go speech to text and then they would make the text indexed but mm. i don't know we'll see how well it works but what do we think that would do i mean I, it seems like an awesome feature but like i guess if you searched for the word catalina instead of finding a podcast that had the title catalina or the description we talked about catalina you would just find all the episodes that we actually said the word catalina and then it would pull that up i guess Mm, it it might like do a lot like of inner text or yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. I mean, it's, it's super cool actually if you're searching for like very specific topics, you know? Yeah. This actually mirrors something I want almost to a T. I was thinking like I listen to a lot of audible books and I read a lot of actual books. And so I'm never really sure where I get my information at, like in terms of like where do I remember it at? And especially with audio, audible books, you can't really like earmark it or like go back to it. But I would love it if all my physical books and all of my real books had some sort of search. And that would be amazing. And then this is basically that for podcasts. Mm-hmm. That would be cool. Because it would all be in one spot. Because you've read the book. All you want to do is keyword search across physical books you have. Why isn't that there? Seems like it should be there. Even audiobooks. We all have manuscripts. You know, how hard is that? Somebody give me some search on a book. <laughs> Just keep asking for it. <laughs> Just keep saying it over and over. 
But let's recap a little bit. So we got some Apple TV updates, obviously. We got some watchOS updates. We didn't even talk about Apple TV, but that's that's just we didn't talk about watchOS. WatchOS. I was actually excited about the new faces. I like to see new unique faces. And the one thing, maybe I'm missing this, but are faces available to develop by third parties or are they still just first party? Because if they were third party, gosh, man, I can only imagine it'd be like ringtones, you know, sell mm-hmm. those things. I would like to get somebody to make watchOS faces for me. I, that would be amazing. If we had a change log watchOS face, Jared, dang. I think it's one step closer because the watch has its own app store now. Yeah, it's one step closer. Independent apps, own app store, streaming audio. That's what I'm most excited about. It's going to get you to be able to listen to podcasts on the go. That's right. I I wondered if that meant that uh, you'd have to have the GPS cellular version of it. Oh, I'm sure you would. Otherwise, how are you going to get that stream? Right. So for those who... Like me, who did Spent not get the, the cell version. I have it, and I love it. The only thing I don't like is, and is I can't like it's very unreliable to sync things to it. Like syncing an audiobook, it tells me Audible tells me it'll take two hundred and seventy-seven hours to do this, but if I can just stream yeah. it, that's much better. That yeah, much better. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Are those is your cell plan capped though? So are you going to have you know overages on your watch because you're streaming Audible? Uh, potentially, no. <laughs> We'll find out. <laughs> well, depend. Who do you AT&T. use? AT&T. <laughs> uh, you might I, I do. I'm grandfathered oh. into the... Uh, I don't have the unlimited <laughs> plan. I have like 20 gigs a month. You have the super old school unlimited no, plan? No, I have the one... I can do uh, tethering and stuff. The super old school one, you can okay. do that. Gotcha. Yeah, I had to... Yeah, anyway. I use Verizon, and all they do is, is have you add a device. So if you were... So if, if you had your iPhone out and you had it in tether mode and you had a different device tethering to it using it as a hotspot, well, that data is mm-hmm. capped. But a, a data, an application, or sorry, a, um, a device directly using its cellular connection to get the data doesn't have a limit if you're an unlimited. For most of the plans I can, I'm aware of, at least. So I could be wrong about yours. But usually it's when you're going through another device to get the data, that's when you're capped. As far as I know, I think like I have 20 gigs and it just, I can use, it just counts towards that on my, on my mm. phone and my, I, my iPad actually has cellular too. And it's the same. Lots of uh, iOS updates, sign in with Apple. We talked deeply about that. Some HomeKit stuff, video rotation, OMG. Yes. Thank you. Oh man. iPad OS, new and improved, whatever. That's cool. Shared folders. External drives, SD cards. I mean, like, finally, right? I mean, I think Android's been doing that since, like, 99, the the year before it was born. I think I Dojo know. even did that back in the day. <laughs> yeah. didn't, didn't Dojo already oh, do yeah. that? Dojo pioneered it. <laughs> that Mac Pro is sweet. The Pro Display is unattainable. The Pro Stand is a nice add-on that costs as much as uh, more than my first car. More than my first car. And, of course, Mac OS doing some cool stuff. Swift, that was pretty cool, though. Some cool stuff happening in Swiftland. I wonder yeah. if the Catalyst stuff will be open source. Doubt it. Swift, Swift UI, UI does look really cool. So let's, let's, let's touch on that before we call it a show. This is a new framework written in Swift for Swift for developing user interfaces akin to the old interface builder. This is a Swift interface builder it's a declarative ui framework where 
you can, of course, just write the code. And they showed how little code you need to write to do all of the full fleshed out feature rich table views and all the different widgets that they have in the OSs. But they also have this uh, Xcode view where it's kind of like a split screen. On the left hand side, you have your code. On the right hand side, they have what they called playgrounds cranked to 11 built for apps where you can basically drag and drop things into the a view of a phone, basically. And the cool thing about it is, is if you ever used old interface builder is when you drag and drop things there, it would create a zip file or a nib, which is this clunky XML file behind the scenes that you'd have in your code. This doesn't work like that. When you drag and drop your widgets into the split view of the playgrounds, instead of it having like an XML config that your code references, it's actually splatting code into your code as you're doing it. Um, so you'll have to check the video to, to, to know exactly what I'm talking about there. But it seems like a really cool new tool. And this uh, this Swift UI seems like a really nice framework, especially for people just getting started. Again, maybe another reason to develop for Apple platforms. I'm really excited to look into it. I think that uh, I'm happy that I haven't looked into it before now, so I can just start fresh with this. Got a, potentially a new uh, coder in there, over there in the yeah. background. Someone came home from school and was not very happy. I think that's our cue to, <laughs> yeah, cue to go right there.